Uh, Hal mentioned already that we're going to be talking some more about the means of grace today. Today we're going to be speaking about uh, the Word of God as a means of grace. And our passage, it's printed there in your bulletin, comes from Luke chapter 24. Uh, while I find it, and maybe while you find it, if you brought a Bible. I wanted to say a couple things about, a couple things about Luke chapter 24. This is just a very, it's a very rich passage. Um, Sinclair Ferguson said, this passage, uh, it has the story within the story that explains the whole story. I had someone tell me just yesterday that this is one of their favorite passages um, in all the Bible. And there's, there's a lot of good, uh, if I can put it this way, there's a lot of good preaching material in Luke 24. There's a lot we could learn about the resurrection. There's a lot we could learn about suffering. But I'm just going to ask you that as I, as I read the passage and as you follow along, I want you to I want you to pay close attention to what it has to say about the Bible, what the passage has to say about the Word of God and how we're to use the Scriptures. So follow along with me. We're looking at Luke 24, I'm starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking, And discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them. And the breaking of the bread. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your kindness, uh, that you would show yourself to us in your word. I pray now that you would come and meet with us. I pray that this morning, uh, by your spirit, our hearts might burn within us as we look at the scriptures together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So we've already mentioned a couple times that we started a series for the summer on the means of grace last week. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the Word of God uh, as a means of grace. We're, perhaps it's obvious, but we're starting here because the Word of God is primary. It's primary and foundational, uh, not just as a means of grace, uh, but for the whole, the whole of the Christian life. Uh, we worship a God of words. Uh, last year, when we were going through Genesis, uh, we learned that God created the world uh, by speaking with words. Uh, That before there was ever any sin in the garden, God had to speak to Adam in in order for Adam to understand uh, what he needed to do. He had to listen to God's words. And then after the fall, Adam was without hope until God spoke to him a promise about a seed that would come. Uh, When Noah uh, built the ark, it wasn't because he was a good meteorologist and knew what was coming. Uh, God spoke to him. And he listened to God and obeyed. When Abraham packed up his family in his 70s and went to an unknown land, it wasn't because he wanted to go on a spiritual journey or just because he had some sort of good religious intuition. It was because God spoke to him uh, with words. And everything that we know about God and sin and salvation is found in his word. It should be no surprise to us that the word as a means of grace is actually foundational to all the other means of grace. It gives them meaning. Uh, it gives them, or it defines them. And I would say it even, it even gives them their power to the extent that the means of grace are to be coupled with faith in the promises that are attached to them, promises that are only found in the word. I would guess that apart from the word, your prayers uh, are vague and sentimental if you don't really know the God who's revealed himself in his word. Uh, You need some sense of what is pleasing to him so that when you're praying, you're not just asking for the things that you want, but you're learning to ask for the things that you ought to ask for. The Bible helps us learn to pray. Uh, The sacraments, they really are just empty signs if they are not attached to the promises uh, that are found in the Word. Uh, This is one of the reasons that we don't do private baptisms and private communion. These things need to take place in the context of the ministry of the Word. Uh, Rob mentioned to you last week that fellowship can be considered, I think he called it a little m, uh, means of grace. But you just need to know that hanging out with your friends uh, is not a means of grace. If fellowship is to be a a means of grace at all, it is is because you have a shared faith in a common head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a vague faith, but a faith in the Jesus who has revealed himself to you in the scriptures. And even in our worship, we began with a call to worship that came straight out of the Bible. We've been praying 
and singing the Bible. We heard words of assurance from the Bible. Uh, Preaching is no preaching at all if it is not informed by the Scriptures. And every week we take the Lord's Supper together. We, we, We enjoy a visible word from God as we fellowship around His table. So my question... My question, uh, really for myself, but, but for all of you here today, is where is the Word for you the rest of the week? Where is the Word in your life? It, it might surprise some of you to know that uh, in the 80s, uh, a guy named Johnny Cash wrote a novel about the Apostle Paul. It's called The Man in White. Uh, And as he was doing research uh, to write his book about Paul, what he kept discovering was that no one really agreed on who Paul was. He just kept finding conflicting opinions about what Paul really believed or what he meant or if he was even teaching what Jesus really taught or if he was teaching something else. So finally, he wrote this uh, in in the forward to his book. He said, the Bible really shed a lot of light on the commentaries. Um... Of course, he's making a joke to make fun of the commentaries, but he also, he revealed that, you know, the Bible was the last place he turned, even to learn about the Bible. Um, and I think, I think we're often this way. Um, I'm going to make a generalization here, but it's one that I'm convinced of. Uh, I, I think there is a general neglect of the Word in our circles. Not, not just... Um, not just somewhere out there, or even in broad evangelicalism, uh, but for the people in the room, I think there is a general neglect of the word. Rob mentioned last week uh, that everybody wants to change, uh, but we don't always use God's methods for change. Sometimes I think that might be because we just don't want to change into the things that God wants us to change into. But we must learn uh, to embrace the word, not as a concept, but as it was intended and as it was intended to be used. I'm sure if I, if I took a poll, I imagine that the majority of you here would say something like, yes, the Bible is the authoritative, infallible, and inerrant word of God. And even if you wouldn't use those words, certainly most of you here would say, yes, yes, the Bible's important. You might even say, well, that's why I really like Redeemer. Uh, we preach through books of the Bible. Something like that. And yet... I, re- I really do wonder how many of you could say today that you are building your lives around the Scriptures, pouring over them to understand just how you are supposed to understand yourself and the world and God. How, how many of you could even say that you just read your Bible with some regularity? How many of you could even say that you've read the whole Bible one time. How much of the Word do you really know? In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that we are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How will you do this apart from a knowledge of how He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures? And since it's Father's Day, uh, fathers, how will you uphold the obligations that you have to your family if you are not pouring over the Scriptures. We learn in 1 Peter 5 
that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, I like to watch uh, nature shows with my kids. Uh, it's one of the safe things you can watch on TV. Um, but you know, the lion, never, he never goes after the really fast, big bull. Um, and I just, I wonder how many of us are just making ourselves easy prey. Would you know, would you know Jesus if he walked home with you today? Um, now, it's one of the easier things for a preacher to do, uh, to tell you that you should read your Bible. Um, every one of us in this room uh, need, needs to learn to appreciate and spend time in the Word more than we do. And I'm probably going to mention that a few more times uh, in the rest of the sermon. Uh, but what I really want to talk about is why it is I think that we don't do that. Um, I, don't, I don't think that it's because we don't think it's important in some way. Uh, but in what way? What ways are we missing? Why, why is it, how is it that we can live so inconsistently to say one thing about the Word, uh, but our lives not, not bear that truth out? What is it, what is it that took these men from being sad to having burning hearts? What, I, what I'd like us to spend a few minutes on this morning, and what I want us to see is that the Word of God as recorded in Scripture, is His ordained means of grace for you to know Him. The Word of God, as recorded in Scripture, is His ordained means of grace for you to know Him. That means a couple things. That means we need to read the Bible as a whole, and we need to read the Bible in order to know God in Christ. We need to read the Bible as a whole, and we need to read the Bible to know Jesus. So first, we need to read the Bible as a whole. Look back with me at Luke 24. We have these two men. Uh, we don't really know a lot about these men. We only get one of, them, one of their names. Uh, some people think they even could have been a couple. I'm going to say they're two men for the rest of this sermon. Uh, and they're going to Emmaus. Which all, we also don't really know anything about Emmaus. But there's two men. They're headed to Emmaus. And they're talking about some things. And we learn in verse 13 that it's on that very day. Uh, that very day is the day of the resurrection. Uh, the crucifixion of Christ had happened on Friday. And now it's Sunday. And they're walking to Emmaus. And they're talking about the things that had happened. You can imagine they're talking about the crucifixion. They're perhaps talking about the events that led up to the crucifixion. They may even be discussing the empty tomb. Uh, we know later in the passage that they're aware uh, that the tomb is empty. And while they're talking, uh, a stranger walks up. Uh, a stranger that they don't recognize. It's Jesus. Uh, we're told in verse 16 that they're kept from recognizing him. I, I think maybe we'll see why as we get to the, to the end of the passage. But Jesus, in a, very, in a very sort of Jesus way, Jesus kind of question, he walks up and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And the action stops. You can imagine... Uh, maybe the look on their face changes. Uh, their, their shoulders slouch. Maybe they look at each other like, what, who is this guy? Why is he asking us this? Uh, and they stood still looking sad. Just the question makes them sad. And it gives you a little window, maybe a, little, maybe a further window into what they really were discussing. Or maybe what, maybe what they weren't discussing. 
Uh, These men were not talking about the glorious hope of the resurrection. That is not what they were talking about. So one of the men, Cleopas, he, he almost rebukes Jesus for not knowing what's going on, which is pretty ironic considering the situation. Jesus is the only one who knows what's going on, and he's actually the guy they were just talking about, and Cleopas can't tell. But he says to him, are, are you the only person that doesn't know? And Jesus presses him a little bit more. He says, what things? So then they answer him. They answer his question. They quickly summarize what's been happening. They say, oh, well, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, a mighty in deed and word. He was delivered over by our chief priests and rulers, and he was crucified. And then he stops. That's all he has to say about Jesus. He has this very sad statement in verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. At this point, if he hasn't he hasn't completely lost hope. At the very least, he's having very significant doubts about whether this man Jesus really was the Messiah or maybe if there's any kind of Messiah or redemption to be hoped for at all. We had hoped he would redeem Israel. By the way, it's been three days. Something Jesus had told them about several times. Oh, by the way, the tomb is empty. Something Jesus predicted. Oh, by the way, uh, we've even... Heard there's been a vision of angels that say he's alive, but him they did not see. And so they're sad. I want you to look how how Jesus responds to their sadness. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus Uh, does not try to comfort them in their sadness, although he'll do that later. He does not even really try to explain the situation to them. Uh, What he says is he calls them fools and specifically calls out their lack of belief in the Scriptures. Now, you you can imagine some of the things Jesus might have said. Well, well, don't you remember all the things uh, that you learned from him? Don't you remember that he told you this was going to happen? Or he could have said, hey, here I am. He could have opened their eyes. Touch, touch my hands. Touch my side. It's me, guys. Everything's going to be okay. But what he does is he chooses to point them uh, to the Scriptures. And maybe, maybe it's somewhat obvious, but if these men who knew Jesus, these men who were friends with the apostles, needed to know the Word, of course, of course you and I do. But what Jesus says is that they should have already known that the Christ was going to have to suffer. He holds them responsible for not already knowing because they did not believe all that they read in the Bible. Uh, They knew some of the Old Old Testament. I think it's likely they probably knew a great deal and perhaps all of the Old Testament, but they were slow of heart to believe all that they found there. And it's very important for us to see what it is that they didn't believe. What they didn't believe was that they would have a suffering Messiah. You know, they didn't didn't have a problem with a glorious reigning Messiah. They They didn't have a problem with a Messiah who would come and crush all their enemies, but suffer. How... 
How could the Messiah suffer? How could the one who was going to destroy all of our enemies be executed by our enemies? They had no category for this. And Jesus says they didn't have a category because they didn't believe all that they found in the Scriptures. And I think there's actually there's something deeper here that they did not believe. Uh, they, they did not really understand uh, the reality of their sin. They, they thought that political oppression was their biggest problem, where the Old Testament is full of the terribleness of sin and the love of God. If they had understood half of what the Old Testament has to say about their own sin, they would have known that the blood of bulls and goats never takes away sin. Of course, the cross had to happen. But by not believing all of the Scriptures, they couldn't think rightly even about the parts they did believe. This is important for us. By not believing all of the Scriptures, they couldn't even think rightly about the parts that they did believe. Have you, um, have you ever tried to follow most of the instructions? Whatever you leave out is going to end up messing up the things that you get right. We have to learn to embrace all that we find in the Scriptures, and of course that assumes that we are trying to find things. It assumes that we are reading all of the Scriptures, and as we find things, we embrace them no matter what they entail. Half won't do. In fact, half will only distort. So, so what parts or what part of the Bible have you maybe neglected because you found it to be a difficult teaching? Or are there things in the Bible that you find it uh, easy to forget? Or perhaps that you might even be uh, embarrassed by because they don't, they don't line up uh, with either your previous ways of thinking or they don't line up with what the world says you ought to be thinking? Well, if you embrace the grace of God without His justice, uh, it's very likely that you will end up thinking that Jesus uh, is just nice. It's very likely that you will end up thinking that Jesus doesn't really take sin that seriously, and that is a very dangerous place you to be. Or if you embrace Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which you should embrace, but you neglect what Paul says in the chapter before, that his desire was to share in the sufferings of Christ so that he might become like him in his death. When your world turns upside down, you're not going to have a category for it. You're going to think that either you did something wrong or perhaps the promises that you heard from God weren't really true in the first place, instead of seeing that suffering is simply a part of the Christian path toward resurrection life. Uh, In John chapter 6, the disciples had to hear some difficult teaching from Jesus. He told them that they were going to have to eat his flesh because he was the true manna. And many of them said, you know what, that is just too weird. And many of them left. And Jesus, uh, he turns to the twelve and he says, do you want to go away as well? And you know what Peter said. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. 
there really are, there really are genuinely difficult things uh, to learn and understand and believe in the Bible. But where else will you go? These are the words that God has given you. So we, we need to read our Bibles and we need to read the whole thing through. Uh, if you're not sure where to start, I would suggest that you just start. Uh, you have heard it said that anything worth doing is worth doing well. But I say to you, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Just start. Um, if you're not sure where to start, please come and talk to somebody. Um, in addition to that, I would say, if you don't really want to read your Bible, uh, then you need to confess that as sin, and then you need to read your Bible. Um, so the Word must be read as a whole, but what I want us to see is that that's really not quite enough. This, uh, this rebuke that Jesus gives these two men uh, is necessary and is right, but the rebuke is not what moves them from sadness to having burning hearts. Uh, what we also need to see is that the word needs to be read in order to know God in Christ. Look with me at verse 27. Uh, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, Jesus found things concerning himself in all the scriptures. The author of scripture is unfolding to them that he himself is actually the meaning and the purpose of the scriptures. And this is not just a few key uh, messianic texts. Uh, This is a two to three hour, seven mile Bible study with Jesus as he unfolds that everything in the Bible has always been about him. It is to point them to him. This is one of those conversations that you'd like to have recorded. Uh, But Luke and God did not see fit uh, to record it for us. But we can imagine maybe some of the things that they might have talked about. Certainly, certainly Jesus would have pointed them to Genesis 3.15, that there would be a promised seed who would come, and although he would be bruised in his heel, he would crush the head of the serpent. That while Noah, whose name meant rest, built an ark to save the people of God, Jesus would come and bring true and everlasting rest and draw his people into his house. That while the high priest on the Day of Atonement was the only one who could go into the presence of God and make a sacrifice for the people so that they could remain in the land, Jesus made a one-time sacrifice and now sits at the right hand of the Father forever to intercede for his people. That although Moses could deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, Jesus would come to deliver his people from the slavery of sin. And although Joshua could guide his people into the promised land, Jesus would come to defeat not earthly enemies, but sin, death, and Satan, and draw his people into the new heavens and a new earth. That Jesus was great David's greater son, spoken about in the Psalms and the prophets. That Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. That Jesus was the son of man, spoken about in Daniel. And just to go back to my previous point, if you're not regularly spending time in the Old Testament, uh, you're not going to understand its fulfillment in the New Testament. But the Bible, what Jesus wanted them to see... What Jesus wants us to see is the Bible is not 
chicken soup for the soul. Uh, The Bible is about your creator and redeemer. It is not essentially about help with your circumstances, but help for securing eternity. And it is not a list of religious tips for religious situations, but it is the way and the truth and the life because it all points to Jesus. So when you, when you are sad, uh, when your life is out of control, when you don't know what to do, do you look for just the right advice to help you get out of this situation? What you need, what you need is to know God as he is known in Jesus. We don't need just, we don't need just information about Jesus, but we need to know him. Look with me, skip ahead to verses 30 and 32 here. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures? You see, the scriptures, they are a way for us to fellowship with him. Did you see that their hearts burned not when their eyes were opened and they saw him? Their hearts burned on the road as they had the scriptures opened up to them. You see, Jesus closed their eyes because he knew that a fading memory of walking with him on the road is not what they needed. But what they needed And what you and I need to know is to know Jesus as he is known in the scriptures. His physical presence with them was not the main thing because he knew that for the rest of their lives they would need to learn to spend time with him in the Bible, the place that he's chosen to leave a permanent and living and active revelation of himself. Um, I've been married to Nan for 13 years, and I can honestly say that I love her much more now than I did when we were engaged. Uh, but, but the reason is because I've gotten, I've gotten to know her. I've been, I've been spending the last 13 years investing, investing in her, investing in our relationship. So most of you probably have already guessed that Jesus uh, is not going to walk home with you today. And I've already mentioned that we don't even have the conversation he had with these men recorded for us. But what we do have is that we have the same word that he opened to them. In fact, we have more of it than they did. And we have his spirit, the very presence of Christ in us, enabling our hearts to burn if we will open his word. So what does your heart burn for? What are the things that you cherish uh, more than anything else? What are the things that are immovable on your calendar? What are the things that you are always finding yourself looking forward to? Well, if our future, if our future is to be with Him, and that that is our great hope, we ought to want to be with Him now. The Word is more than all of the correct information about Jesus. The Word itself is a means of fellowshipping with Him, to know Him personally, to actually spend time with Him. 
You see, I think we often, we just neglect the word because we just don't know what it is that we have. Uh, Because the word of God is his ordained means of grace, uh, we're to read all of it, and we're to read it with great expectation that we would meet our Savior Jesus in the pages of Scripture. Um, Some of you might have seen a YouTube video that that went around a few years ago. Uh, In 2010, the Kimul tribe of West Papua, Indonesia, they received the New Testament in their own language for the first time since missionaries first arrived there in 1961. 49 years uh, of being Christianized without the New Testament in their own language. Uh, In this video, uh, one of the pastors is anticipating uh, this plane coming. He knows that they're going to be getting the New Testament in their language. And listen to what he says. He says, In the past, only part of God's Word was translated into our language, and part of it was not. So when other people came to our church and taught us, if we had that portion in our language, we would read it and understand. But when they taught from a scripture we didn't have translated, our hearts would be heavy. But now we're going to have it, from Matthew to Revelation. And our hearts are no longer heavy. They are light. And in the video, uh, as this plane is coming in, it's sort of landing on a, on a grass strip, and there's basically a big parade and party going on. Everyone's dancing. Everyone's playing music. Uh, and this pastor gets everyone to be quiet uh, before they take the Bibles off the plane, and he prays. I'm just going to read his prayer to you. And I want you to listen how he almost equates, I think rightly so, he almost equates the coming of the Word uh, with the presence of Jesus himself. Listen to what he says. O God, O God, the plan which you had from the beginning regarding your chemicals which already existed in your spirit, the month that you had set, the day that you had set has come to pass today. Oh, my father, my father, the promise that you gave Simeon, that he would see Jesus Christ and hold him in his arms before he died. I also have been waiting under that same promise, oh God. You looked at all the different languages and chose which ones will be put into your word, and you thought that we should see your word in our language. Today, the day you had chosen for this to be fulfilled has come to pass. Oh God, today you have placed your word into my hands just like you promised. You've placed it here in our land. And for all this, oh God, I give you praise. So let us read the word. Let us look for Jesus and ask him to make himself known to us. Let's pray.